So the reading today is uh, from 1 Kings, and we're reading from chapter 4, uh, verse 29, through to chapter 5, and verse 7. The word should be here, or on the screen for you guys at home. So uh, 1 Kings, chapter 4, verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight, and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Kalkol, and Dada, the sons of Mahol. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. When Hiram, king of Tyre, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, He sent envoys to Solomon because he had always been on friendly terms with David. Solomon sent back this message to Hiram. You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put all his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David, when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. So give orders that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. My men will work with yours, and I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no one so skilled in felling timber as the Sidians. When Hiram heard Solomon's message, he was greatly pleased and said, Praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. And it's I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and I know it's difficult. Let me tell you, it's even harder up here. <laughs> Last week, morning everybody, everybody, by the way, uh, on camera, good to see you all, thank you for joining. Last week, um, there was no feedback, and I know that that's not you, because there's normally feedback. And we were praying this morning, John and I, before, and I just, you know, it's hard at the front because you you sort of thrive on that energy that's in the room, and people being with you and going with you, and you look out, you know, and everyone sort of, you know, masks on, and we're just a little bit, you know, the windows are open, it's a bit chilly, and it's all a bit strange. So thank you. That was an enthusiastic good morning when you're not sure if you're allowed to say good morning or not. And if I'm honest with you, I need to look it up because I'm not sure if you're allowed to say good morning or not because there are so many things that we can't do. But what I wanted to say this morning, first of all, is a big thank you to all those that have put this service together. Because just sat there watching the different things that have happened, there's a lot of people that have been involved in this service, isn't there? Thank you, Paul, for um, the all-age bit. That was fantastic. It's great to get get the guy who's done the the porch for us to talk about the building of the temple a couple of thousand years ago. That was really encouraging. 
for Eunice to share with the notice, for Alison to come up front, for John who's leading the live streamers, but then of course people that have booked in, you guys that have had to get in touch with someone to book in. You know, just being here this morning, just getting here, is exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> it's not, you know, normally it's straightforward. We just sort of roll out of bed and we do what we do, and we, you know, we have our breakfast and we meander down to church, and there's energy and different things going on. But at the minute, a lot of those things are missing. So thank you if you're here this morning. Thank you if you've joined us online. We're going to be thinking together uh, about those. Well, we're going to take quite a few chapters in One Kings. I said last week, if you've been watching the, um, listening to the series. And watching last week that we're going to sort of take it at a bit of a pace. So this morning we're sort of trying to deal with chapters 4 to 8. <laughs> so that's quite big, isn't it? But don't worry because it's not going to be any longer than usual. And I want to start by asking you this question. I want to start by asking you this question. When was the last time you asked God for wisdom? When was the last time you asked God for wisdom? Now you might not know. You might think, well, I don't know. And, and I guess, in some ways, that's an answer, isn't it? Or you may say, well, you know, it's been a tough week, actually. I've been doing it every day. You know, I'm, I've, I've got a situation that I'm not sure about, and I've been thinking about, uh, and so I've been asking for wisdom quite a lot because of this particular situation or these things that have been happening. Maybe during this pandemic, that's been one of your go-to prayers, one of your things that you've been thinking that we need. Wisdom, as things have changed. There's a great little verse in the Bible. John, no, not John. It begins with J. James, chapter 1, verse 5, and it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? Yeah, we all do, don't we? You should ask God. That's pretty straightforward to me. <laughs> I don't think I need to explain that or pull it out or think about what it might mean or look at it from a different angle. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And then there's even more. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Don't we love verses like that? Don't you love verses? Like that? I love verses like that. I mean, there are some verses that, you know, I know they're there and they're God's word to us, but I wouldn't say I love them. <laughs> they can be a challenge and they can be interesting and we need to unpack them. But verses like that, I love them. The generous God who is waiting to give will give you wisdom. I mean, to be honest, I can feel the weight just dropping off my shoulders already. <laughs> There's somebody there, somebody all powerful and great and amazing and fantastic who's got my best interests at heart, who wants to help me in life. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Because I tell you what, I need it. <laughs> we all need it, don't we? We need God's help. We need wisdom in many areas of our lives. And God's word helps us to know what to do if we're taking it in, if we're reading it, if we're putting ourselves under it, if we're praying through it, if we're seeking to apply it, then we will be growing in wisdom. And we saw last week that God appeared to Solomon and he asked him what he would like. What is it that you would want me to give you? I mean, what a great thing for God to say to somebody. And he was pleased with what Solomon asked for. Because Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for riches or the death of his enemies, but discernment to rule the people of God wisely. And God answered his prayer. And we see that straight away. In chapter 3, um, we've got this, this great episode, this great story of these two women. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not very nice in the sense that a baby dies in the night and one of the women 
uh, we think probably took the other woman's baby and then there's this hoo-ha, whose baby is it? There's no witnesses, nothing's going on. If you were at the AGM on Tuesday with us, then we looked at that story and just looked at the way that God gave Solomon wisdom in that particular situation. He knew what to do. He knew how to find out who the right mother was. But you know, that's only one aspect of wisdom. It's only one aspect. Because we continue to see wisdom through these next few chapters that I want to look at today. And that's the first thing I want to do really, is just pull out where that wisdom comes up. What it is that the the author is trying to show us as we go through. Because chapters 4 to 10 are an insight into what happens when God's people trust God and put him at the centre. John said earlier, "This this is the high point of Israel's history doesn't get any better than this, in a sense, for them. This is a, a, you know, a huge time, accumulation of time, God's faithfulness to them in bringing them out of the, the land of Egypt from slavery, moving them over those 40 years, bringing them into their own land, displacing the people that were there and settling them in their own place and then slowly but surely helping them to see how they can trust him. And he bears with them, doesn't he? And then what we get to here is like the, the fruit of, of that bearing of God with them. The fruit of God's patience with his people as he slowly but gently led them. And what happens here is that they start to become a light to other nations. They, they do what God has called them to. God gets hold of them in the Old Testament. Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, he gets hold of him so that he can shine out his goodness through Abraham, through Abraham's family, to the world. So the world can see that there is a God and what it's like. And that's what starts to happen in these verses, in these chapters. It's, it's brilliant. It's taken so long. <laughs> but we get there, and it's fantastic. And nations start to come and start to become interested, impressed by God. And we're going to think a little bit about that next week in chapter 10, when the Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon. That really is sort of the, the pinnacle. That's the point where it, it gets to. But what I want to think about today is, is just um, the results of Solomon trusting God. In that prayer, Solomon shows his trust. He trusts God when God asks him what he wants. He asks for wisdom. And then we see in, in chapters 4 and 5 that God gives him that wisdom. We'll think about that. And then chapters 6 to 8, we see what it looks like for a nation when God is at the center. When God is at the center. So we're in chapters 4 and 5, first of all. First point, God-given wisdom. God-given wisdom. And here we are given a snippet, really, of what it means for God to give a king wisdom. At the end of chapter 3, we're told in verse 28, the author says to us that Israel held the king in awe. After that decision between those two women, Israel held the king in awe. Why? Because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Wisdom from God to administer justice. We see his prayer has been answered. But that's not the end of it. Chapters 4 and 5 show us wisdom in all sorts of different areas. I just want to spend a little bit of time thinking about that. It's really helpful for us because it shows us wisdom in normal life. I mean, the end of chapter 3 is brilliant. But most of us are not going to be in that situation where we've got to make that decision, are we? And then, you know, there's normality sort of sets in. And wisdom is applicable in all areas of life. 
So chapter 4 and verses 1 to 6. If you've got your Bibles open, you can, you can have a flick through and, and see. Uh, not the most interesting verses in the Bible, just a list of very hard names to pronounce. Great names, I think, but uh, quite difficult. But we see wisdom in organisation. Solomon appoints chief officials. We learn that this wisdom of using others... I mean, you could say, if you want to bring it right up to date, and you was at the AGM, it's maybe the wisdom of teams or something like that, using teams within that context. Get people into teams to get the job done. And these here are the team leaders. Great names, as I said. Elihareth. I guess that's how you say it. Jehoshaphat. That's one of my favourites. Zadok. I love the music at the beginning of the Champions League because it's Zadok the Priest. Uh, it goes blasting out as it comes on. It just takes me to God every time. I think, that's great, isn't it? There's a link. But Solomon here, he's organising. He's, he's putting people into positions of leadership who will, who will get round them a team to get things done. So, 3.28, we see there's wisdom to administer justice. 4.1-6, to six, we see there's wisdom to organise. And then we see the wisdom of God through other people. This is just a little throwaway phrase, really. Verse 5, another great name, Zabud. Zabud. Uh, not, not dedicated to anybody with that name so far. I'll give thanks for that. But if it's, uh, if it's round the corner and it's on its way back in, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Zabud. What's his role? Verse 5, an advisor to the king. And you think, well, why does the king name an advisor if he's got God's wisdom? Well, actually, I think that part of the way that God's wisdom comes is through other people. He recognises his need to listen to other godly people who will give him a different perspective. Now, I don't mean different to God's. <laughs> that would be disastrous. That's not what I mean. I mean that he's going to have blind spots still. Because that's what we have, isn't it? None of us knows everything. And even with God's wisdom, sometimes we'll get things wrong. And so we sometimes need other people, and it's through other people that God's wisdom can come. And surely you, most of us would, would know this in our lives when something big's come up, when we're thinking of something, maybe a, a career move, um, or, or um, a partner, or something that, that we know is going to affect our lives from here on in. It's a big decision, and I, and I guess you do what I did. You, you get some people around you, and you pray, and you, and you say, let's ask God if we think this is right or not to do to go in this particular direction because we recognize the wisdom of other people when we were thinking of going into ministry Katrina and I we went to see the minister and we said you know we think this might be what God's calling us to do but we don't know and he said well get some people around you we got our life group leaders we got some other good friends in the church some of mine some of Katrina's um, I mean they were you know Katrina's were mine and mine were Katrina's but they, they would known them longer as personal friends if you know what I mean and then we came together and we prayed one night, and we just thought about what, what the future might be. And do you know what? On that night, there was no resounding yes. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, no, I wish it had been a resounding no. Oh, you may not. I'm only joking. But it was a sense of, let's push the doors and see what happens. You know, we, we think God's in this. We think this is right. Let's, let's see. Let's see where it goes. And then things started to happen. And, you know, godly things started to happen. Good godly things started to happen. Wisdom of people that we know and trust who, who know and walk closely to God are a blessing, aren't they? Zabud, 
was an advisor to the king. What an important role. We see wisdom from God is not always direct, but can come through other people. And then verses 7 to 19, uh, he appoints governors over regions to supply him what he needs. And again, we're seeing that wisdom of organization. 20 to 28, we see the effects of that wisdom. You know, it starts to work. Things are happening. God is blessing the king. Solomon is blessing the nation. And then we get to our reading, verses 29 to 34. And this is where we're given a summary, if you like. God is giving his wisdom. Uh, And we find out that Solomon is even wiser than He-Man, Kalkol, and Dada. I mean, I find that quite funny. funny. Maybe it's just my... Um, childish sense of humour but when I was young if you said dada to somebody you you was meaning they you didn't think they knew very much rather than that they were wise people I'm not surprised that Solomon was wiser than him but hopefully that's not around still today he-man calcol and dada and we think wow you know I mean Solomon wisdom Solomon was was wiser than these three people that that we've never heard of But the point is, of course, the people at the time knew about them. I don't know who they were. They haven't lasted through antiquity. But Solomon has. Solomon was wiser than these guys and all the people from the east and and all the other areas that it tells us. The the author is, is helping us to see. He's spelling it out for us, isn't he? And then we're reminded it was God's doing, verse 29. It was God who gave Solomon wisdom. And we see that it's unsurpassed in understanding. Proverbs, in plant life, in in nature. You know, the point is it's so much more than just a famous decision over two women and who was the child. And then in chapter 5 we see wisdom in action beyond the people of God. I guess you could call it wisdom in relationships. The king of another nation, Hiram of Tyre, benefits from Solomon's wisdom. His people are blessed with jobs, as we saw in the reading. In verse 12, we get a summary again. We're shown that Solomon received his wisdom from God. There's these three verses, 328, 429, and 512, which give us these little summaries about God giving Solomon wisdom. Which is why we know, through this section... We're seeing the answer to prayer. We're seeing what God does in reaction to what Solomon asked for. And we see that it's no small thing, is it? It's not just the end of chapter 3, it's the following chapters. It's the way the temple's built and the way that everything comes together. It's practical, which is really helpful for us. You know, we're we're not going to be forging treaties with other nations, probably. But if we bring it back to its basics, we need God's wisdom practically. We need to listen to godly people. We need wisdom in organization. And one of the things we're looking at as elders, as I said earlier, is how we can put people into teams to serve within the church. That's not a new thing. We've been doing that for years. People have been in teams for many years. I'm sure you could... Some of you could write them down and and rattle off the the different teams that you've been in over the years. But we just think it needs a bit of tweaking and a bit more organisation, a bit more thinking through. Now, very aware, you can (laughs) over-organise. I don't think that'll ever be one of my problems, if I'm honest. But but you could do it. 
You could over-organise and sort of push it to the nth degree. That's not something that we're trying to do. This isn't about control. It's actually trying to do the other thing. It's trying to release people to serve in different areas. We've, we've had discussions about the organic versus the organised. Do you like that? Sound like something good, aren't they? It came out of a book. It wasn't our idea. The organic is the sort of the stuff that just generally happens and that you want to foster and grow within the church. But then it also needs a bit of organisation along it. If you just leave it, it will sort of die out often. So you know, But if it's just organised and you don't get the organic, then it all feels a bit sort of duty-bound. And, and, you know, so you've got, to, you've got to try and walk the line between these two things. Things that people want to do and then thinking how we organise that and put that into practice. That's what we're trying to do. It's not easy, but that's what we're trying to do. Pray. For wisdom, for God's wisdom. You know, no organisation would be disastrous. As I've already said this morning, so many people have gone into making this service happen this morning. So many different things, some quite small bits, some very big bits. But so many different people. It's been organised and thought through. I mean, look at this. (laughs) I've never seen anything like it. This is the order of service and it's... Colour code. Sorry, John, you don't mind if I use this, do you? This, this, this has got a key to where we've been this morning because we're trying to send it out uh, through the line online, through the web, through live streaming so that people at home can see it. We're trying to do that. We're trying to uh, meet people's needs within the building. We've got a colour-coded order of service. So we've got uh, uh, a yellow bit, which is live-streamed, same content online and in the building. So that should be fairly straightforward. <laughs> he says standing here, not sat at the back on the computer. We've got a blue bit, same recording online and in the building. We've got a sort of, I don't even know what colour it is. Sorry, my mind's gone blank, but it's orange, let's say. Only in the building. Green, recorded only online. John has been thinking through how you can get the best experience at home and we can get the best experience here. That's organisation, isn't it? That's thought through so that we can try and engage together so that we don't miss out and that you don't miss out either. We need it. We need it. And then to apply to other areas as well. We need wisdom in relationships, don't we? I mean, we all need that. Especially in these times where we've been locked down, because I don't know about you, but I find that lockdown leads to getting bogged down. You know, it just feels harder. Like, you know, life has been sort of you're almost walking through treacle or something it's just it's just a bit harder times when we need more patience with people we seem to have less times when we should really be trying to see things more from other people's perspective we're more interested in making them see it from ours we need wisdom in relationships through the difficulties and trials that we've been through i mean we need that anyway but we certainly need it during a pandemic. So what we see here is not God just giving wisdom in one area. You know, he was a good judge, Solomon. But no, so much more than that. He is gracious, as we saw last week, and abundantly so. What we see here is the reality of James 1.5, isn't it? Solomon asked for wisdom. God gave graciously in so many different areas and you know I don't think I've exhausted that you could you could go back you could look at these chapters if that's something you want to do look at these chapters during the week and think well where's is there more areas of wisdom more things and I think there probably will be 
That's the first thing. We need wisdom, God-given wisdom. And this is where we see it given in the scriptures, the supreme place. The second thing, from the next few chapters, we see that God is at the centre. God is at the centre. So chapter 6, great, wasn't it? Watching Paul uh, and just uh, seeing how he got his tick list and put everything together uh, like he was Solomon. And we see this happening here in verse 6. Chapters 2 to 10, sorry, verses 2 to 10 of chapter 6 show the building of the, of the outside of the temple. And the respect that was shown to God. Paul made the point of the fact that the, uh, the limestone was, was quarried away from the site so then they could bring it to site ready to lay it. It was a respect shown. This was to be a special building because of what it represented. We see that in verse 6 and 7. But then in verses 11 to 13, we see that, you know, but don't take that too far. Don't start worshipping the building. You know, this is a human problem, isn't it? We, 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 we almost have a, a default position of wanting to worship the creation rather than the creator. And that's just getting bigger and bigger in, in this culture in which we live. Our desire to worship is not going to the one who has created us, but to the things around us that is created. See people on the telly marveling at space and stars and nature without you know, any inkling that there's somebody behind it. Don't worship the building in and of itself. It's not really anything. It's constructed in such a way that helps us to see the majesty and the glory of the one who dwells in it. We see that from the last part of the chapter, but don't mistake the home for the person. God shows us in verses 11 to 13 that obeying and worshipping him is the key. Nothing else. And Paul pulled that out as well. It's a timely reminder as the outside of the, of the temple is finished... God says, effectively, it's not really about the temple. <laughs> I mean, he's not against it. He thinks it's a great idea and he's inspired Solomon to do it. He stopped David from doing it, as Paul said. But if it, if it helps you to worship me, brilliant. If it takes you away from me, it's not good. This is what he says. If, if you follow my decrees, carry out my regulations, keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to your father David and I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people, Israel. <clears throat> In the middle of the building project, God reminds Solomon that to really have him dwell among them, it isn't actually a temple they need, but obedience. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us today? Well, I mean, we need to see how things have changed, don't we? How things have moved on. The temple represents the dwelling place of God. We, um, we got that in that song afterwards, brick after brick, that things have moved on. But eventually this, this temple is, is destroyed. God's people don't continue to be obedient. They become disobedient. And he punishes them by sending them into exile, into Babylon. You can read about it through the second half of the Old Testament. But then we come to Haggai, the third to last book of the Old Testament, and another temple is built. They're challenged by God to, to put him central again. And so they build another temple. This is the temple that <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus walks into. And in John chapter 2, it's the temple that Jesus judges. 
when he turns over the table and he drives out the money changers. And he not only judges it, but he effectively re he replaces it. What he says in John 2 is very important for us theologically. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And everyone thinks he's talking about the building. But his disciples remember later he told them he was talking about his body. John tells us he's talking about himself. Jesus is now the temple. The place where God dwells. The way we approach God is through a person. The way we approach God is through Jesus. The contact point between heaven and earth, which was that holy of holies that Paul was talking about, where, where the ark dwelt in the Old Testament under these times in Solomon. That, that touching point, the, the, the thing that made it possible as sinful human beings to be able to know God was because of that sacrifice that was offered. And that sacrifice ultimately became his son. The Lord Jesus, as he dies on the cross, becomes the sacrifice. The meeting place between God and man is not a building, but a person. The son of God. Isn't that wonderful? But you know, that's not all. This theology moves on. This idea of the temple moves on. So when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see that we are the temple. I, I was struck again <clears throat> excuse me, by this this morning as we were listening to Paul. Um, I was just thinking this verse is coming up. It says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit lives in you. And I was drawn to this verse in 1 Kings chapter 8. And Paul alluded to it. Uh, I've lost it now. There we go. 1 Kings chapter 8. And verse 11. We get to the point in 1 Corinthians where we're told that we're the temple. That God's spirit lives in us. But this is what it says about this original temple. The priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. I mean, you think about the amount of time that it took these seven years to build the temple, the detail, the list. Paul pulled that out brilliantly, didn't he, this morning? And you think about how, how God is so pleased with this building and, and with their obedience and, and the way that they've done things, that he turns up. Can you imagine you know, God is there in a way that they know that God is there. I mean, God is everywhere, but they know that God is there because the cloud of his glory descends upon the temple. That cloud that would have led the people in front of the tabernacle as they were going through the wilderness, the cloud that descends, God was there. And you, you, just, you get goosebumps, don't you? But this is the point. We're the temple. That glory is in us. And that's impossible. And it is. It's impossible when we know our own sinfulness and our own hearts before this God. But he's dealt with those things through Jesus. We can read that verse, 8, 11 of 1 Kings, and think, wow, that, that would have been amazing. But equally, they could have sat there and God could give them a vision of the future and what he was going to do. And they would have said, oh, but that's even more amazing. And it is, isn't it? God living in us by his spirit. 
we are the temple. What does that mean? Well, it means that we'll want to watch, watch the way that we live, doesn't it? It means that we should think careful about, carefully about what we do because wherever we go and whatever we do, God is there with us. It means we should be reminded of this when we're tempted to sin. Glory of God, that by his spirit, lives in us. And it means that he should always be at the center of our lives. We shouldn't want to do anything that will offend him or, or push him away in any way, shape, or form because we want him to dwell in us. We want to know that he's there with us, giving us his wisdom and helping us. You know what we see in these verses? Verses 4 to 10, really, is, is Eden almost restored. I mean, all that's gone wrong in Genesis chapter 3 is, it looks like it's been put right again. God is dwelling with his people. God is in the midst of his people. He's, he's been faithful with them and persevered with them to bring them to this point. It's like a real second chance, isn't it, for humanity. The, God is reaching out through his people. People are seeing it. People are, are being attracted by it. They're coming to the light. They're coming to Jerusalem. We'll think a bit more about that next week. That's what they should be doing. And this God, we know now as things have moved on, comes and lives in us. You know, Solomon's not the answer. <laughs> we need something more than that. We'll think about that another time. But the answer is even better than Solomon. Get to the point when we are the temple. God lives in us. We can ask God for wisdom. And we don't have to worry about whether he's listening or not. Because <laughs> he's right there with us. In the room, with us. We don't have to think that he's not interested. We don't have to worry if we've got his attention. Because he lives in us by his spirit. If we've humbled ourselves before him, if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, if we've given ourselves over to him, God comes and lives in us by his spirit. So to apply this sermon particularly, I'm ending with two questions. We've been thinking about that the last few weeks. Hopefully they'll come up um, on the screen and on the screen um, so that you can see them. I just want to leave these with you i'll read them out so if you're listening you've got a pen the first one is this in what areas of your life do you think you need god's wisdom right now right now what areas of your life do you think you need god's wisdom right now and then secondly 1 corinthians 3:16 says don't you know that you yourselves are god's temple and that god's spirit lives in you how do these words affect your behavior what does that mean? And how does it affect how you live?